All right. Hello, everyone, and welcome to A Day in the Life. Today, we're joined by Renee Cooper, who is a marketing director. I actually met Renee at MomoCon, which is an anime convention in Atlanta. And Renee is also a marketing director for Fulton County in Atlanta and runs her own consultancy. I'm super excited to catch up with her and get some pointers from her too. Welcome, Renee. Thank you so much. I feel very welcome and I love the introduction and it's so good to see you again. Yeah, great to see you. So uh, I'd love to just start this off by talking about your role. What are, what are your main responsibilities? Okay, so um, I guess we'll start with marketing, the marketing director role. Um, I have been working in marketing for about 10 years now. It kind of feels like a resume, so it's kind of, or an interview, it's kind of uh -huh. nice, like a work interview. Um, but I've been working in about, for about 10 years in general marketing. I have a journalism major and um, started working in social media and blogging. Uh, then I went and was working for a small business doing all their marketing. And so uh, then I jumped around to different agencies, excuse me different agencies doing um, more social media marketing. So I was very uh, deep into the social media aspect of general marketing. And so in the last, uh, actually in May of this year, I started my first uh, full-time professional director role of marketing. And I was very excited to um, really kind of be back handling every aspect and every facet of digital traditional and anything between marketing. So I um, really, anything that comes down to promoting the company, and this is a law firm here in Atlanta. So it's the Dixon firm. I think it's a good time for me to, I was being a little like hesitant on telling people, but uh, because part of marketing is being able to be an advocate for your business. Um, it's the Dixon firm in Atlanta, Georgia. They do personal injury law. I've never worked at a law firm before, but I've worked in a, uh, at a small business retail company. And you'd be surprised how many things are very similar. Your whole goal is to make sure that you kind of customers coming into the door. So anything from, um, you know, creating content for blogs. One of the first things I did was create a, uh, get on a schedule of a podcast and an email newsletter. So if you go look at our social this very moment, whenever this is published, you may not see a lot on social going on, but we do have an email list that I'm hoping to continue growing, that they already had clients and emails from previously. And we have a podcast that we publish on a couple different spaces um, to really build up talking about that uh, really kind of organic content and topics related to law and personal injury law specifically. So um, it's called the Pocket Lawyer Podcast. I made up the name, I love alliteration. And um, it's me talking with the owner, uh, the founding lawyer, just some questions about different areas of law that uh, I feel like I don't know the answers to or didn't and would be great for informing an audience if they didn't know exactly what our type of law was. Uh, so in the interim, I also communicate with vendors uh, with, because even though I'm the director of marketing, um, there's no other marketing people in office with us. So I've communicated with different vendors. Um, I worked with a graphic designer to redo our logo so that it was a little bit more recognizable and we could get our color scheme, our font, all of that standard so that if I am working on graphics, um, I know I have my, my blueprint of where to go. Um, I've created a billboard. We have two billboards in Camp Creek, uh, off Camp Creek Parkway and they kind of supplement support each other. So I worked on replacing a couple of those billboards uh, to be more updated. 
we have some web updates going on, even though we have a fully built website, there's some edits that need to be made to it. So I'm working with vendors to do that. That's been fun. Um, so again, any touch points, um, creating merchandise, planning future events is part of, and making a budget for that, that's kind of been what I've doing the last couple of weeks. So it's again, a lot of touch points, but it's very um, fulfilling because even though it's been a few months and things are kind of ramping up, it's showing the ultimate goal of being recognizable to the community and bringing in uh, new phone calls, new customers, just getting us recognized and in spaces where we could uh, more easily market to uh, a community that ultimately doesn't need us right now and hopefully hopefully won't need us, but is available when they need us um, amongst the sea of other lawyers that they could call out. Yeah. I love the name pocket lawyer. That's, it's, it's fun. Like having that in your, yeah, I get, I totally get it. Yeah. Like in, your pocket, to, like, in your pocket, like you're yeah. listening. Yeah. I love that. Exactly. That's, and that's they're only crazy. like 15 minute long. Like I didn't want it to be a very long podcast. I think people get nervous about like the length of a podcast because we're used to listening to hours or just once that, that that'll go, you know, even YouTube YouTubers who kind of like do vlogging and video podcasts, but I was like 15 minutes max, if we can do it. And we, if we can't do it, we'll talk about it in another time or we'll get other sound clips. But this is the time that I think people will have like on their lunch break or driving to and from work, something just very short that um, will keep their attention just for a little while. Yeah. Like I remember the, like, I thought for a long time, the standard for podcasts was short. And so I remember when I started seeing long podcasts, I was like, wait, this is long. <laughs> like, yeah. How long are we going? Ah, commitment. So yeah, I, I, I like, I like that. That's like kind of bite-sized pocket episodes for the pocket lawyer. Yeah, that was the, that was the goal. So I'm glad that it resonated. My boss said he was still on the fence, but what's interesting is he won't like, if he doesn't like something, he'll tell me. And I, but if he's not sure, he's like, well, let's, let's do it. Let's try it. Yeah. So um, that's always fun that he's, that he's open to that because mm -hmm. I'm, you know, I want it to be memorable and catchy and have a reason for people to be like, oh yeah, that ties into this. Yeah. Um, so you mentioned that you have a background in journalism, which I didn't know. I didn't know you've gone to journalism school, so that's mm -hmm. cool. Um, but what, I guess, what kind of educational background or experience is required to, to do what you're doing? Oh, yeah. Um, well, I feel like 10 years ago, 10-ish years ago, it was harder to know exactly because my first professional job out of, like I used to work at GameStop. So as we're going to school, I worked at GameStop, which is a great place to work. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. Um, but I knew I was ready to move onto something more in my field. And at the place I started, which was like apartment finder, and we were doing blogging, they really just wanted someone who could write. And so with journalism background, even though I was kind of more in the, I want to do more production, um, video editing, and even, I don't know about being on camera, but working the camera. Uh, one of my college jobs was actually working on a TV station. So I would man these giant movable cameras with these like steering wheels. Um, and we would do some, um, you know, work inside of the studio, I guess that's what it's called, like in-studio work. Um, <clears throat> there's a lot of terms that I'm forgetting right now, but it was a lot of fun. And I thought that would be something I really wanted to do. I even interned at CNN and was like, I want to do this in the production side, but uh, hard news is very 
hard for me to, at the time was very hard for me to ingest. And I decided maybe a news station, um, especially a 24 hour one was not for me. Um, but the ability to write, the ability to tell a story, the ability to know just kind of like the makeup of how a story is formed and your like what your catch is, you know, they say things like don't bury the lead. Like, what do you want people to get out of this time and this information? And since you only have so little time to capture someone's attention, um, that helps a lot when you're writing blogs, when you're writing social content, when you're writing or creating a billboard or any sort of outdoor marketing, you want to find a way to be really, really catchy, really fast, and then also pretty memorable so that they know where to find you um, and how to get back to contact you if they ever do need you or ready to become a client or customer. Uh, so I think that was very helpful. The production side of being able to understand technology, I think really helped me out too. I was always, um, I remember we learned to edit on, uh, oh goodness, what's it called? The video editing software for Apple. Um, oh, iMovie? Nope, not iMovie. Oh. It was something else. <laughs> it's going to pop up my brain later, but like I learned to video edit on a Mac and before I really learned to do it on a PC and I never really owned Macs before. So figuring out how to go between PC and Mac, um, how to do any sort of editing uh, was very helpful for when it came to learning how to navigate the social media landscape. And I just kind of stayed in that aspect, in the aspect of the area because social media was such a growing part of marketing that other places wanted it. So when I uh, actually, didn't leave from my first job uh, voluntarily. Uh, it was a lot of work and I ended up getting fired from it. It happens. Um, so I was working retail and doing other things. And finally, um, a lot of recruiters in my life have been very helpful. Um, I went through a recruiter for this small business in Stockbridge and was doing kind of what I'm doing now and managing all aspects, taking pictures of products, putting it on social, uh, putting their newsletter out every week. I learned the most I'd ever learned about paid social and paid advertising as that was getting ramped up. So um, now I think you can, I mean, if you have a marketing degree, I'm hoping that they will also teach the areas of digital marketing, because even though the fundamentals are, fundamentals are there of how to market in, you know, TV, radio, a lot of different places, uh, it does translate into uh, social media and digital marketing. And even most ad platforms for like Facebook or Google AdWords use terminology that I kind of wish I had a more gen, uh, not general, but yeah, general marketing degree because I didn't learn them until later. Like I didn't really learn why we called them campaigns or what ad spend, like a whole bunch of, of jargon that I was like, I'm just in here. And if it tells me to go here, I know that this spends the money. And then this is, we get clicks. Um, so I think a marketing degree would help with that now to, to read across all these different platforms and how they're set up, but it wasn't necessary if you really just spent a lot of time in there, um, over the past few years, um, playing around and experimenting and testing things out with small budgets or, um, really, yeah, small budgets. And then like ramping things up from there was really helpful. But any degree that has any level of, I think, tech or computers, like it gets you in front of a computer to test things, would be really helpful 
as long as you also have a little bit of that creativity and um, savviness of telling a story. Yeah, I can definitely see that. So when you're talking about different social media platforms that, that are out there, it from what I understand, and, and I could just see this, you don't want to just say the same thing on each one. Each has their own kind of flavor, like LinkedIn has is more professional, Twitter is like it's you know shorter form, and Instagram is more image oriented and et cetera, et cetera. So what kinds of things do you think about when you're when you're putting I guess, making these marketing decisions like and, and your messaging for, for each individual one. Yeah, um, and I may be a little bit, I don't wanna say lazy, but I like shortcuts because there are so many now, especially now platforms that you can work with. So I think once you have the overall structure and look and voice and um, visuals of your brand, it's a little bit easier to tweak things a little bit depending on which platform you put them on. Or you can actually put the same sort of message across all of them as long as you, again, are, are using that same voice. So uh, there are, are platforms that I was using to automatically schedule. And we could actually, like at my previous job where we had a team, previous jobs, uh, we had teams where we could, you know, so the graphics were made and then copy was made and then we would just schedule it and it would go out to where it would need to go. And when you have something like that, um, like a team structure and project structure like that, it's really easy to differentiate your message across the different platforms. Um, when you don't, you do have to get a little savvy and sometimes you just need to make sure that the sizing one uh, the length of what you're trying to say are um, appropriate for where you're putting it. So for example, if we post that we have a podcast live, we have our podcast art and we really want it to be consistent everywhere. We want it to be on LinkedIn because we're professionals and we're talking about things that we, we know and um, we want to link people to that and get people excited that as a business we're, we're doing things. So we'll post that on LinkedIn. Um, Instagram, we also, and Facebook, we also want to share that with our clients and our fans and consumers. However, with link with Instagram, the copy has to be a little bit different because people can't just click a link in it. Um, you have to make sure it drives it back up to the link, you know, your bio link, um, or it's a really easy link, which in most cases, if, unless it's not just your, your actual website, it's not gonna be easy. So you want to tweak your copy a little bit so that it, it's not just seeming like you don't know how Instagram works. And maybe a lot of people just don't like think about it that far, but it is very important. Um, so you want to drive your, your, your traffic to the right place. And then with Facebook, like it's a lot of stuff on Facebook. So you could really post a lot, you know, the same message there too. Um, and then Twitter is kind of similar. Um, I actually see if you do something that's too, um, professional looking on Twitter, like it kind of gets ignored. So you can use things like GIFs or memes or even just um, words to get your your message across and to talk about um, your broadcast. There's a lot of uh, broadcasters and media people who use Twitter really well. 
Um, so you don't need like a big robust graphic. It helps, but you don't need it for Twitter. And um, you can really get your information kind of out there pretty quickly. So, um, but yeah, if you have, you know, you want to show that you had, and LinkedIn's changing, but, you know, there used to be those memes where it's like my Facebook account, my Instagram, and then my LinkedIn, like, you may not want to put your, and again, you may not want to put like your champagne toasting, beautiful sunset picture on LinkedIn, unless maybe you're representing a luxury brand. But if your brand is more um, like for the people and like a general, you may want to do something a little bit more with your teammates. It could be a similar message, like celebrating one year, celebrating five years, but it may be just a little bit different look. Um, but again, unless you have a lot of visual content to share, I think it's always good to go visual first and post the message when, where and when you can. And don't worry too much if you can't get it too different, but definitely know um, and try to read your, your um your audience in different places. Um, I find that each platform, while it's good to have visibility in all of them, each platform does have a very specific uh, group of people. And there are people who are very influential on all platforms a little bit differently. Even LinkedIn has influencers, like people who are co posting content all of the time because they want, and LinkedIn wants you to be on there all of the time. So if you see that they're doing something specific that's getting them a lot of visibility, I'd say mirror that in your own way. And if you see that LinkedIn or uh, Instagram is always, you know, something similar is always doing top-down beautiful photos, you know, or scenic views or vacation, like do that there because that's what's going to kind of drive and just make sure that's always within your, uh, your branding um, your mission statement and things like that. Um, but however you get the content up there, get the content up there and then you can always tweak it as you, um, you know, repost. Cause it only lives for so long anyway when it's organic. So, you know, you have time to experiment. Yeah, that's true. Like you can, like, I like your point about feeling free to repost because yeah, I mean, people aren't gonna remember. Like you'll remember that you posted that but people aren't gonna <laughs> remember that you posted Yeah, that. all the time. Yeah. And people always do like throwback Thursdays or. You can, but you don't have to. Like if you yeah. post, like they don't know when you took the picture, like unless they're really staring at your life, which it's like, if you are, are you also giving me money? If not, then I don't really care. So, um, you know, just post thinking about, you know, California and there's like a picture of Cal, you know, even if you put something in the caption that said, this is an older photo. Sometimes people don't know. It's like, oh, you're on vacation, right? No, this is just... <laughs> It was just time for me to post it again. <laughs> like it was a picture I forgot to post later. So, or earlier, mm -hmm. um, but yeah, just, just getting the content up is always good. Yeah. So, so with all of that, like having all of your content in different places, like how do you stay organized? <laughs> Whew, okay. This is fun part. So I have not always been an organized person. Um, and I, through it was really through convention planning that I learned some of the tools that I really love on top of um, working at an agency. So after I worked at the um, wholesale place, the hotel, wholesale retail place, um, I was like, I need to work at an agency. Like I have to see what it's like to work with a team and how it's different. 
And so working at an agency, we actually started using, um, to organize everything, we used uh, Google Slides and, or like PowerPoints. Was it power? I think it was just, it's, it was like the Google slide of like 365, like, you know, the, a team build one. So it wasn't exactly slides, but these are PowerPoint to keep everything together. So the graphics would get sat here and the copy would go here. And, you know, the who, what, when audience, all of that stuff would be all on this place. And I thought that was like, wow, like, okay, this it's a simple use of something that I know how to use, but I'd never seen it used quite this way with a team. So we did that for a while. They probably did it for a long time before me. And then uh, one of my managers found this company called two companies. One was Hey Orca and one was Agora Pulse. And they were like Hootsuite, but better. They were two separate things. They had some similarities, but um, one had a really great calendar view and uh, com uh, collaboration tools between graphic designers and uh, publishers and things and copywriters. And then the other one had really good listening tools for if you needed to say, um, you know, alert me when people use these keywords in a process in, in, you know, together or separate or whenever we have someone talking about us. Um, so those were two tools that worked really well to keep content all in a couple of places. And we started using them uh, with our graphic designer and with our whole team. And I was like, wow, yeah, the next place I go to, we're going to use that. And the next two places I went to, we actually did use them while I was there. I think uh, Fulton County still used it for their social media. And that was super helpful. But I also really still liked the idea of the PowerPoint. And I was using that when I was at Fulton County uh, Board of Health to, before we got approval to use some of the other platforms. And that's how I would keep track of my copy, my calendar for the month. Um, and I would share that with uh, the team and just say like, hey, the copy is ready here. We need you to sign off. Like I made a little area that they could put in like the date they approved it. Like all of that stuff was kind of built based off of what I learned at that agency. Um, so, and then we kind of kept using that for a while, plus the other to programs. So at my, where I'm currently at, I still kind of use the format of the PowerPoint, but uh, I mostly work with Airtable now. And Airtable is the thing that I learned from the convention scene. Um, I want to say thank you to Michelle and uh, Red Jest because they are the ones who uh, kind of found them and were using them for their departments. And I picked up and just like absorbed it and found out how to use it like a sponge. Um, but Airtable is a database creating program, apparently very similar to Access from like the 90s that everybody had on their computer from Microsoft, but I don't know how many people used it. Um, it's like Excel on crack and in a good way, if that can be a good thing. It's like Excel, a magical Excel. That's probably a much better way of putting it. I'm so sorry. Um, and I use that to really build out almost anything I, I want or I need. So I have one specifically for budgeting where I have like the item or the event or the um, just an item that we need, how much it costs, where the link is to find it, what the image looks like that needs to be printed on the item all within like one line of information. I can filter it. I can um, make views for my boss to see. I have ones that are kind of geared toward content or at least like a project management tool. Um, there are better project management tools, but I, because it's kind of just me 
with my own team of some vendors, like I keep a list of vendors that I can, you know, when do I need to follow up with them? When was the last time I talked to them? Um, plus Google. So between kind of PowerPoint and Airtable, I've kind of been managing a good amount. Um, I still, because Agora Post and Heroica both cost and we're not doing a lot of social posting right now, uh, I only really have Agora Post because I have a free version and I'm thinking of whether or not I'll go back to Heyorka, but I definitely recommend them 100% to a bunch of people, especially if you're trying to plan out social media content. Um, and also if you need like really good monthly reporting, Agora Pulse is really good and Heyorka is pretty good for that too. Um, so those are, the, those are the programs that I'm using. I used to have like a Erin Condren book of like a life planner that I would put some things in as well but it's helpful that's not really digital and while it is helpful for my in like my in life my IRL events and um, you know knowing where to be on certain days and times and uh, parties or events and cons um, I feel like writing things down on that and making sure they're in my digital calendar like my google calendar are good but when it comes to work, uh, hey, or, um, Airtable has really been super helpful in organizing and then showing that organization to other people. Um, it, to use all the things that I use it for, including conventions, um, I do pay for it. And it's like an annual of $200 or something like that. And if you get more people to do it, like my friend Michelle, you basically get credits on credits on credits. I don't have that yet, but... Um, when I, I actually left a job right before the pandemic and before I found my job at Fulton County Board of Health, uh, I knew I needed to learn more about Airtable. So that's the one thing I bought. I was like, I know I won't have income for a while, but if I can learn how to do this, then that'll make me even more marketable. That will help me to get more organized the next place that I go. And it was definitely a personal professional investment I'm very proud of um, and very happy about. And then my I would say the last thing I, I use is Canva. I like the Canva premium account, like $13 a month. And uh, I can do so much with it, even if I'm just testing out what something will look like. I'm not a great graphic. I, I did not go to school for graphic design. I have a lot of support from a lot of different people who help with things. Um, but on a very general basis, if I can, I, I can usually make it work uh, very well. And um, I've appreciated that that also kind of like has a grid view and they now work with social media platforms. So again, I love those shortcuts. I really do love shortcuts. I love when things work together. And um, that has helped me to just like, I know where to go for graphics. I know where to go for my, for my task list. Um, I know where to go to communicate with people and like all those sort of work together. But that has been a few years in making my sort of like nest of how I feel comfortable, um, you know, doing tasks. So, uh, but I highly recommend all of those to anybody, everybody, if that's, you know, if, if they need any tips in being organized. I can't say it helps me clean my room or keep my desk looking great, but it does, um, it, it does make me want to do better. Digitally, I'm very organized. Um, with everything else, it's, it's getting there. 
Yeah, I, I can plus one to Airtable. And I, I actually remember seeing you um, post about Canva. I was that billboard you made. And I was like, whoa, that looks really good. Let me like get Canva. Cause I didn't feel like paying for like Adobe or something like that. So let me oh. try out Canva. And it's so nice. And I love that it has a social media scheduling thing, even though it's not that robust, but it's still there. Like it's helpful. Like at least you can schedule like to LinkedIn yes. or something. Right. Um, and a lot of places, Hey Orca included, and I just saw somewhere else that had like a Canva um, widget attached yeah. to it. I feel like it was maybe uh, like somewhere to a promotional printing or something like that. But uh, Canva works with a lot of other integrations too within marketing tools. Nice. So I think that's really smart. Um, so, but yeah, I, I was um, very happy that I could, I just blew the billboard up to the biggest similar ratio I could and work within that. And then thankfully the billboard company took it on, took the rest on. It was able to make it bigger and make it look like it was supposed to. But um, yeah, it's it's very helpful. Even if it's just getting a, a basic and then another graph designer can hopefully like build on it. But I've just found that even if I send it to their graphic designers, they're like, well, we'll just use this. I'm like, okay, you're the professionals. Like if you think it looks good, then go ahead and put it up there. Nice. Nice. Yeah. That's exciting. Yeah. Um, so yeah. Um, so I'd love if you could share your wisdom, what advice do you have for someone who's trying to market something they've started like my show or, or something like that? Okay. Well, uh, you've already started really well with, um, creating, I would say a podcast. Um, I think I, I mentioned this before. I don't, I don't remember if I mentioned it now off camera or at the very beginning of what we were talking, but um, a podcast is, it's very, it's a good way to get a lot of bit of, a lot of content at one time and to sort of deliver that content in multiple ways in multiple platforms that aren't just a podcasting platform. So by recording it like this, you have something you can put on YouTube or Instagram or even TikTok. If you can, you know, when you pull smaller clips of it, um, you have obviously the audio that you can overlay. If you want to do a text-based, um, a text-based image that can go on again, any platform, but you may not necessarily want the video behind it. Uh, you could write blogs about it. You can pull some of the topics that were talked about. And even if you just do a blog introducing this podcast, that's still a blog that is still content and it's multiple pieces of uh, multimedia content that people can click on. And that's really what you want is people, you get a little bit of interest and then they take that next step. Um, so yeah, first step is finding a way to kind of get a lot of content. I would say like the beginning of the month or like the beginning of each month. And then think of how you deliver your content month by month. A lot of people will think they have to do something every single day. And again, if you don't have a big team, it's just very difficult. When you have a team, it's very difficult. Um, I've worked with, at any agency I've worked with, like we have not published every single day. <laughs> so, um, and some places, we did mostly paid paid ads so like we we would always put money behind anything that we did post so that made sure that even though we only posted it at the beginning and middle or end of the month 
that it was getting seen by a bunch of different eyes. And at the time it was mostly for engagement, but even if you do that with like a, the idea to have traffic to your website or a link click, um, you're guaranteed to see more, more engagement because it is getting in front of more eyes. So before we go, but you know, I would say putting money behind something is great, but that's kind of like a step six or seven. I won't say it's like the, the first step. The first step is looking at your month, maybe thinking of just a topic or a person or, um, you know, however you want to get that content and then circle your month around that particular campaign, which is, you know, a fun marketing word, but just like a stretch of time when you are going to have a particular goal and a particular message in mind in certain spaces. Um, and then use that to divvy out different bits of content throughout the month in different places. Um, definitely have an email sign up. Uh, well, I'll even go back. Definitely have a website. Even if that website is a, it just says, we have great content. Check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and give us your email so that you can see whenever we have updates. That is enough. Um, you always want to have some sort of action that the person can take. Even if you feel like you can't, um, you're not really selling anything right now. Um, I'm guilty of this myself because even though I, I have offered consulting. And then when I started getting a lot of requests, I kind of had to shift back into like professional mode. So it was not the best case scenario, but it did show that that call to action was working. People were reaching out to, to get the thing and to talk with me and, and, you know, to have those, um, hour long sessions. So, um, so never underestimate the thing that you want people to do, people will do it if you tell them how to do it. So um, have an email list so that people can can reach out to you and get um, on your list or just tell them how to reach out to you generally. Um, I like having an email sign up because, or a form. I love, I love forms. I don't think I expressed that before when I was talking. I love forms. Uh, Airtable has great ways to make forms. JotForm basically helped people get vaccinated in Fulton County in 2020. 2020, 2021 is when the vaccine rolled out. So I have a special place and frustration in my heart for JotForm, but um, form builders are really great because they can act as your website where you just ask people for information about themselves and an email and you just have it there and you can do what you need with it. Um, so have even just a basic form where you ask a couple of questions and have to be like a whole long survey, but you know what they're interested in, if they want to schedule time with you, how, like how and when, um, in their email Calendly is, they do that for you. So that also really works. It's a great site that does that. But if you want to ask more questions, um, you know, you can build it yourself, but having something that gets people's information is really what is key. Um, yeah, I would think those are kind of like your, your best top ways to get into marketing yourself. And then like, I say like ABC, but it's like ABM, always be marketing. Um, be your own advocate. Like you don't have to go into a party and be like, hey, I do marketing. Like that's not how you, how, you don't have to, you could, but you don't have to. Um, but having some sort of freebie is good. Even if that freebie is information, um, because people will want that. Um, while I do consult, there are some times where I'd just be on Messenger and people ask me questions. And 
if I have the answer, I'll give it to them. You know, I, I could charge, yes, and sometimes I do, and I have charged. But sometimes, if it's like a quick thing that, you know, if I, if me typing to somebody for, um, you know, giving them thirty minutes of my time helps them move forward with their career and their goals, then I am super excited about that. If they only needed those thirty minutes and they got that fire, then that's great. But if those 30 minutes turn into, you know what, I would really like to have another hour long conversation with you another time, then um, that comes back to me because I know that they, you know, I'm hoping that they're serious about it. And that's just another kind of like back and forth expense. Know your worth and what you actually want to provide for people, um, even if it is just beyond information. But also it's cool to have things like stickers or, you know, I say stickers are the new business cards. Um, because business cards tend to get kind of like lost. You know, people have business cards are like, I may or may not use this, made for more professional services. But if you have a sticker, like you can put it on your laptop, you can put it like on your phone, pop sockets, like people use those all the time. Um, pens, I, I forgot how incredibly like good pens were for marketing. Um, you know, let somebody keep it, leave it at a, a dinner table for the, uh, the waiter because they need pens you know like everybody wants those but something that you don't mind like putting a little bit of change chunk of change into that you can give out for free um or things that you could wear if you have your own cool shirt like with a cool design or something stuff like that gets the buzz around your um what you're doing and can be very versatile when going out into public and making sure your your items or your things are seen because I think what a lot of people get hung up on is only existing on social media and only existing in the digital space. And um, while it is a great way to broadcast and we do spend a lot of time here, some people may only spend a lot of time on digital right now because of COVID and different things. But as we hopefully move back into, I mean, people are already out in, in, in public. So like as people are going back out as they are always in their car, driving somewhere else, taking transit, um, going to restaurants, even ordering in from restaurants or sitting outside, like all of that is an opportunity for you to put something of yours there. Even if you just walk by in a really cool, colorful shirt that has something of yours on it, or you have buttons that you just leave for people, like the little, the little tiny buttons, um, that is all considered marketing. So that's just like thinking outside of the box a little bit on um, ways you can really put your mark on the world. Um, yeah, and show that like you you want to be in, in places with people outside of just the digital space. Yeah, I love that. Like, a lot. <laughs> no, but thinking outside the box and, and yeah, and, and and don't undervalue physical, the physical world. I mean, that's still there. It's still there and it's a great space and it's actually in a lot of ways more readily available or easier to see sometimes in like digital world that's moving all the time right exactly yeah and it, it's like this bell curve or like everything comes back full circle about you know at first they were like you know small businesses were a thing then like corporations gonna like kill small business but then like we've not we've seen the opposite where big business got too big and now smaller things mm -hmm. are or even people big people got really big heads and now people are back to like, well, what, how can I focus more on supporting people in the local community and watching them grow and then kind of seeing that kind of cycle work with other people, hopefully not in a 
they get too big, big and it's bad. But, um, you know, one of my favorite things I want to do more of is with influencers, which or just people who create content online, uh, specifically local ones. I'm not talking about Kim Kardashian, but like people in the community who do a lot um, or who are consistent. I say do a lot, but who are consistent with broadcasting and being in certain spaces and being around town. Um, you know, when at certain point companies can like send them stuff. You see the people do that all the time. Like people send uh, YouTubers, um, CDs are their favorite things. Like my, my roommate, my friend loves K-pop and she watches some K-pop um, uh, YouTubers and like people will send them like CDs and cards and postcards and she'll return and send some of them to other people. So it's like, there's a sharing aspect there. And um, you know, you can tie that into, even if you're a smaller company, like I have a friend who does crocheting and um, makes really anything out of crochet. And she'll, uh, she has a couple of like local influencers or maybe they're not local, but um, people who she'll share stuff with and she'll send them like um, a bikini or uh, a shawl or something that they can wear and pose with so that it can get vis um, visibility online. It's not just her creating the content. Now she has somebody else who's helping to share it and they, and they get a cool free thing out of it. So um, people are willing to do that because we all want to create content and we all want this connection. So that's a good way to kind of keep your brand moving. And because you still have to spend to make, um, imagine you giving away even $100 of some product that you created a graphic or a, you know, a stickers, items, even like a cool box with a mug with your name on it or something like that. You spend $100 on that versus $100 on a social media ad. And you may see a very similar result. You could have $100 worth of really, really good um, people that you know are aligned with your brand. Or you could have 100 kind of randos, but like, well, like you could have like 10 people who really align with your brand or like 100 randos. But of those randos, a few of them may actually turn into really good, like a, you know, um, a customer you may want or a follower that may stick around for a while. But through the influencer, you have people you know are a little bit more aligned versus someone who may need a little bit more time to understand where you are. So it's always a trade-off. And so the, the money spent could be, you know, could be on either side. They both work. They just work in different ways. Yeah, definitely. So I want to spend a little time on just like life in general. And so I know you have this whole other like all this other stuff you do outside of marketing. I mean, I met you because you're, um, you're now the media direct, the media relations director for MomoCon and you do a lot with DragonCon too. And, um, so yeah, I would, I'd love to talk about what you do outside of work to decompress. Yeah. So, uh, this year has been different than most years for all, the last two years have been a little bit different, but, um, in terms of the convention, it's interesting because it's, when I started doing media relations for MomoCon, it's because I had, I had been press and uh, me and my friends had a YouTube channel. We would talk about anime and comics and nerd stuff and all that stuff. And then uh, we we're like, you know what? We want to do coverage for these conventions because we love them and it, it's fun and it gives us content for our YouTube. And so um, I met Dan Carroll, who was on your show previously, like the best person in the world. Um, through that. And that's how I kind of got introduced into going from being press to managing press and uh, media relations for MomoCon. 
And it's not necessarily a vacation, but I'm finding that it is fulfilling because if I go to a convention, like I'm always looking for different things to do in general. And there's a lot of time, like a convention is like whole weekends. So me personally, I love sleeping unless I have like actual goals of things to do. So it helps me to fulfill that aspect of like um, doing something, meeting people, um, having a schedule and at least having some sort of, um, I mean, I'll always have some sort of schedule, but having things that I can kind of fall back on if I need to, um, you know, if I feel like I'm, I'm not doing a lot, if that makes sense. I, I, it's kind of weird because it's like, usually you want to just like rest and stuff. I do get rest because I get, I have a lot of great volunteers who now know me and know the process and know what to do if I'm not there. Um, but I really enjoy being part of um, building this community of um, not just the media and the press and the local content creators, but the entirety of everybody who goes to MomoCon because they either meet some of these people, they've seen the advertising that the press that, that, they, that they have done for us, or they just are local Atlanta nerds like me and they want to go and have fun. And, you know, they may never see something that our press people publish but they may and they may just have their own experiences so so that's been really really fun I miss it the past year and a half we are doing a Momocon show in um, December so I'm excited to get you know hope I'm hoping um, I think I think there are things in place now that make it as safe as possible for us to move forward with in-person events there's been a lot of in-person conventions, sports events that have been going on in the country. So um, as people are comfortable with it, I would love to see more people come out to that because I know we are all very like, we need it. Because um, what I've been doing now has been watching Netflix or Disney or, um, you know, ingesting content of from the film industry or from animators, which has been great. It's always great because there's a lot of great shows out there um, that I didn't even expect to fall in love with or to follow. Um, so, which ties kind of back into me being the director of animation track at DragonCon because that's a lot of possibilities for panel content and panel discussion that can um, go into like bring some nerds together and us all geeking out about the new Harley Quinn cartoon or, um, uh, or the Owl House or Centaur World or like something like that where we're like oh we watch these shows and they are really really cool and we just have to like tell our fan like we have to geek out and fan out about them so I really enjoy being able to have some downtime to focus on that um, while a lot of people are going to more conventions and like one year I went to a lot of conventions I think it was 2018 I went to like 11 in one year um, I am enjoying the like the chillaxness of just planning for the couple that I have and doing more support of local seeds and local businesses. If I, I, I eat out more than most people probably think is okay, but like it's cooked food. It's great. Um, I like to go to, to restaurants around town. Um, I've been going to a couple burlesque shows that my friends have been putting on. Um, I can't wait to go back to dad's garage when I get a chance to do that, um, seeing shows for people who are coming back into, um, you know, comedians or, or concerts of people who are coming back into Atlanta, all of that helps promote Atlanta. And that's really what I want to do is to make sure that 
money is going back into the city <laughs> that I've been saving up for not doing a lot. Um, but yeah, that's kind of really been, that, that's really been it. So DragonCon's in a couple of weeks. And oh, so that's been putting that together in Airtable and, um, you know, really kind of like fun and frustrated stressing out of it because there's always so much touch points to it. But in the end, it's a really, really great show. And um, I'm excited for being able to see some people in person that um, I haven't seen in a long time. And I'm, it's not an excited feeling, but it's, it's like necessary to see some people, especially given it's been like, we've lost a few, I've lost people who are like good friends, like good friends and really good acquaintances and people who are really meant a lot to the community, not even just from COVID, just from life. So um, it'll be nice to see people again in person because that time is so important than just like the clicky clack we get to do on online, like seeing someone in person, even giving them like, like a, a fist bump or like go Wakanda forever. If you can't do hugs, like that stuff really means a lot. And um, I'm, I'm excited for, for it, even if it's in limited amounts. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah. And, and kind of related to Dragon Con and stuff, one of the many fandom things that you do that I'm curious about is the Maid Cafe. And so could you explain to our listeners what a Maid Cafe <laughs> is for those who don't know and, and talk about how you got into doing one? Yes. So that's fun. Um, so in Japan, the like mecca of fandoms, um, there are, there's a concept called a maid cafe and it is basically this rather wholesome, um, costumed cafe space, uh, where the girls will usually dress up like, I was going to say like French maids, European French style maids. And um, they're very like roughly and Lolita E as well. And you go through and the person in Japan, they usually will serve you and like, they'll call you like master or Goji-shun-sama, I think is how they say it, but it like translates to like master or mistress of the household. Um, I know people, I'm going to lose people with this because they're like, what? Um, <laughs> so, and then they have like really adorable food and drinks and they'll do like a performance and they'll like bless your food with like these cute little like things that they do. And it's just like a bizarre, overly cute space to be in. And um, it's an experience. It's an experience that people have. And it was kind of, you know, started in Japan. And so in Atlanta, they had uh, Anime Week in Atlanta was probably one of the first places I saw that had one consistently over so many years. And the year that I wanted to be in it, I actually couldn't go to the convention that year. So I was like, instead of waiting, this is 2016, 2015, I think it's 2015. So instead of waiting a whole other year, I was like, why do we only have to do it once a year? Why can't I just do a pop-up one? And my friend, Tony has a uh, comic book store at North Decap Mall. And I was like, Tony, I want to do like a hot cocoa themed event in your back room of the, of the comic book shop. And he agreed. And so we just, I had a group of um, girls and guys at the time, and we all set up, um, we just dressed, we, we bought our own outfits. Only rule was it just had to be like made theme. You can get them on, you know, Amazon or wherever. And we bought, I bought a whole bunch of hot cocoa toppings. We just heat up water, made some hot cocoa, marshmallows, 
pretzels, white chocolates, whatever you wanted on it. And we would serve it. We did some um, performances and like, I think I, I always sing, I like singing. So like, and I'm better at singing than dancing. So um, like somebody would do a dance somebody we would sing a song. We would do little blesses like moe moe itadakimasu, which in Japanese itadakimasu means like bon appetit or like, thank you for the food. So we would do cute stuff like that and take pictures with people. One of the big things about made cafes is like everything costs money. So when you go in, like you pay to go in and usually the food's included, but if you want to take pictures, you take, you know, that costs more. You can tip your maids or your butlers. Um, so I really just wanted to create that experience in Atlanta outside of the convention because the convention was over. So I did that for a few years and it kind of grew to one year, I think we did four or eight, eight sounds like a lot. So I'm going to say it was closer to like four or five or six or something like that. Maybe it was eight. I have to go back. But um, where we would work with, again, North DeKalb Mall would do the Atlanta Sci-Fi Expo. So we would use, we, me and my roommate, Didi, cleared out an entire um, like convenience store, like an abandoned convenience store so that we could set up a space at North DeKalb Mall. It has since turned back into a convenience store. I'm very sad about that, but you know what? It's all good. Um, so we, we cleared out that space to, um, to set up tables and make this place that we could um, continue the Maid Cafe. I had a, a group of amazing people who would support. I, I made parts of the costumes myself. I had people who made the costumes themselves. Um, and it was always just like um, buying. We did milk teas, which we got from like a local seller um, here in Georgia for a while. Like anything that we could make that was cute, we would do it and we'd put it together. So uh, we never really said like the mistress master thing because one aspect of, uh, you know, it's you hear made cafe and you're like, what? Um, culturally, there are a lot of things that as I was doing it, I realized some of the semantics of things probably could be updated for more Americanized culture. Um, one thing in Japan also, they like each girl has their own maid persona and they don't connect those with their real life because just like with kind of anywhere, realistically, it's kind of like a Hooters for, um, but like a cute, Hooters and like a more wholesome Hooters um, because it's like cute people serving you food in that aspect. Um, but in Japan, they try to separate like maids from their, their personas from their real life. And in America, that's really hard because when you're dressed really cool or cute, you want to share that on your social. And, um, you know, I was having to make some rules about like, you know, if you are in these particular, if you have a lot of content that's like, you know, this or more adult or not suitable for work, then you can't really promote it alongside with the maid aspect because it can confuse what we're trying to do with the maid cafe. I probably explained that really badly, but, um, you know, and, and I have nothing against any sort of adult themes, like we're all adults, but it just was a very important lesson in the cultural differences when we're trying to do something very similar. And, um, I did have people who would reach out like on Facebook or Google who would thinking we were a completely different type of agency. And I'm like, that's not, that's not what we do. Um, we don't actually clean and we don't go to anybody's houses. Like these are, you know, we are having to explain that cultural difference. So, um, but I still love the idea of that experience, that experience with, um, you know, beautiful food and drinks and people 
um, having conversations. Uh, that was one thing that was really big of like, we'd sit at the table, we play games with people um, of all ages and all different, you know, walks of life. Um, there's sometimes people would bring their kids. Sometimes they'd just be like adults and we'd play like a board game or uh, tic-tac-toe or something together. We'd talk about our favorite anime and TV shows and, uh, or people would just sit at the table and draw. And that was a really great for me, an extrovert. Um, I love seeing that because I love just creating a space where people felt comfortable. And on one hand, like, like we, the people who were in the cafe, like the maids and the butlers, we kind of like put ourselves out there in a way that maybe would have been a little, not embarrassing, but like, um, like we, we would take away that level of like, oh, we're better than anybody. Like we're dressed up in like frilly puff sleeves and like things like that. And it's not really clowning or anything like that. It's, it's hard to explain, but we hopefully put people's mind at ease because we are there for them. And we are presenting ourselves in a way that um, was like cute, adorable, a little bit like, you know, like not, oh, what's the word? Uh, not non-threatening. That's it. We were non-threatening so that people could be themselves in these spaces. Um, and I just learned a lot about creating those experiences. Sometimes we couldn't set up the space in a lot of time. Like we would literally just have like confetti and tablecloths and sparkly lights. And that would be like, you know, some Christmas lights. That was our space. But um, I would tell the girls like, and the guys, like, come like you're going to be seen by somebody. Come like you're going to take a picture with somebody because they want our, our clientele and, and people who would come through would want to see people who are um, like, who, who not did themselves up because it wasn't like a big makeup thing, but people who look like they wanted to be there and were ready to be like front facing with a person. So it was like, eyelashes are kind of a must. Like I would be late putting on eyelashes because like, you know, the, the big eyes and the brightness. Um, I would always do like press on nails or something. Um, and that to me was just kind of a very important, even if my volunteers and, and the maids and, and people didn't really take anything of that with them. But to me, that was an important part of marketing yourself and marketing what you do is always putting your best face forward or your best personality forward. And sometimes that does come with, you know, putting a little, you know, mascara on, whatever makes you feel like you are put together, um, then that is what the customer will know. You, you, you feel comfortable, the customer will know that you feel comfortable presenting yourself to them that way. And um, so, yeah, I went to a lot of, with that, but um, we haven't done it in a couple of years just because COVID, uh, we were supposed to do, I think our last one was January, 2020 at Seishun Con. And it was nurse themed. And because um, we were just like, feel better, everybody. But it wasn't getting better. It was getting the opposite of better in terms of the, the world in the country. But, um, you know, hopefully I would like to bring that back. Um, apparently, Mexico has a lot of made cafes, which again, may, people may be like, <laughs> cultural racist thoughts aside, because even I was like, huh, I wonder if that's interesting for them to explain that to people who don't know it but um the same sort of aspect of very lolita puff sleeve like me and a friend went through like a whole rabbit hole of looking at um you made cafes in mexico and especially mexico city so if you have a chance to visit even down to mexico um see if you can find one there um i think there were some in america but most of the ones that i know of are um centered around conventions and i don't know if they're doing them 
right now and you'd have to figure out which convention was doing it not all conventions do it i think only atlanta's is awa right now so yeah yeah wow um so yeah my my kind of last question is just around like cosplaying in general and like what are some tips you have to be creative about making one on a budget oh yeah so um i used to cosplay so much more but now i'm very strategic about my cosplays um there are certain characters I, I really love. And so I know I want to invest in that particular one. And I think the first, there's two ways you can approach a budget. You, you can do a lot of what you already have and look in your closet and say, oh, I've seen a character with something similar. How do I make a, a costume out of things I know I already have? Uh, closet cosplay is what that is called. Um, or <clears throat> you can decide, I know I want to do this costume. I don't have the pieces yet. So let me just focus on this one so that I can really make an impact with it instead of trying to do like a whole weekend's worth of brand new, never before made costumes. Um, I do have a sewing machine, but it has not been in use for a few years now, probably since 2019. Um, so previously I would have to map out just like with anything else, you know, what fabric I needed, the items I needed. And I would just go to Joanne's and pick up as much stuff as possible. Thank you, Yaya Han and other creators for putting uh, cosplay-esque fabrics, more cosplay-esque fabrics in Joanne's. That's very helpful for picking up things locally. There's also a place called Fine Fabrics here in Georgia that's like just outside the perimeter, like in, the, I guess that's Jimmy Carter area. I'm gonna call it Jimmy Carter. So, um, but when you start from scratch like that, you you are not really you got you have to set your budget, but you can't really just set it on a budget because you have to get so many yards of so many like types of fabric. So your best bet is just to find where you can find that fabric, the least expensive. But of course, you're going to want as much as possible. Um, so there's tons of ways I think that people can explain that more. But what I do now is without touching my mic is I buy things. I, um, I don't like to promote Amazon too much, but when I don't have as much time, um, for certain items like wigs or, or I am on a budget, really Amazon is kind of like your best bet. Amazon prime, if you have it, um, and I'll find ways to make a character, um, based off of some of the items I can find there. Um, but I really, really love that there are more people creating costumes um, that are make that one, you can like buy a whole costumes like mecostume.com. They're really actually pretty uh, price efficient. Um, if you don't want to order like a, like a definite made in China one, which are great quality, quality, but you may not want to um, Etsy, try Etsy. But once you do that, you're really getting outside of the budget. So if you want to bring it back to a budget, it. Um, Amazon's your friend. Poshmark is your best friend. I use Poshmark for most of my actual clothes, really. Um, I love secondhanding or sometimes it's new stuff. I just like to be able to search for exactly what I want. Um, but when it comes to certain accents like shoes or, um, you know, accent pieces, I have not bought wigs from there because I don't know whose head they've been on, but like different sort of items. Um, I'll check there first. Tool skirts, petticoats, um, 
it's a great place to get those last minute things that you don't necessarily want to buy brand new or don't need to buy brand new. Um, I just recently bought some Ruby slippers for a, actually the dress I got, it was a plaid, blue plaid dress from Poshmark. And then later I bought some red slippers and did a Dorothy uh, sort of shoot with that as well. So um, people are selling Halloween costumes on there all the time because they only wear it once and then they don't need it anymore. So you can find a lot of good, um, good quality pieces that were only worn once that you can feel okay about like cutting up or adding to it because people want to get rid of it. So Poshmark, I would say for sure, um, you know, Amazon has a really just good assortment of wigs and stuff. If you, but there's also a good place like Epic Cosplay Wigs or Arda that um, have, you know, it's, they're within a really good range of budget. So I, I would recommend supporting the companies that you know make things specifically for that first and limiting the list of costumes that you're trying to do for a specific time frame because I don't like, and people can do this and maybe they have, a lot of people have like a stock of costumes now, but just like with content, before you necessarily get to that point, sometimes it is okay to wear one costume all day or multiple days for a convention because somebody may not see you one day or you may run into a group of people the next day who really love that um, character and you know you can get some more photos with more people so and especially if you take your budget and can put into really building up that piece that makes it really really stand out and really helpful um, I can't say I can't finish this up without um, shouting out coquetry because I have bought now two um full oh, I bought like maybe not full full but for like bigger kind of I would call them builds they're not builds because they're not armor but like necessary pieces for costumes from coquetry because they have super shiny super stretchy material um you can customize a lot of the different pieces so I have like a garnet bodysuit that's got like puff sleeves and the the two-tone like split down the middle and did I mention it was very shiny? Um, I just ordered a, oh, what was this? Um, a comic book version of um, Monica Rambo's um, outfit because I liked her origin story. I think she's just an adorable, awesome character in general too. More black women in comics is always great. So um, I got like her comic book version and I was able to do like a cool shiny outside with like a, a planetary space inside of these really flowy sleeves. It looks very drag and very like, like cabaret, but ultimately that's kind of what a lot of superheroes are if you think about it. Um, so, and they're pricing realistically for the ability to create a full costume or at least 90% of it is really good. And it's really well built and it can last for a while versus when I was trying to kind of piece together a lot of different things and I'm okay at sewing, but you know, sewing and then having to unstitch and then doing like, I'm not a professional and I didn't really have the time to keep going into that. But um, if it's your passion to build it yourself, then have all the right tools to do it kind of like at the start, that's a good investment. Um, but if not, there's a lot of support of taking big things apart and, you know, cutting them down to what you need and uh, making them really stand out. I think best Poshmark that I best Poshmark find I found was a um, 1990s wedding dress that I used for wedding garnet. And um, it had big 
I love puff sleeves. It had big 90s puff sleeves. It was like a size two. It was very petite, but like I didn't need it to be to fit me. I just needed it to be a good base for other things I was putting on it. It was $20. And I'm like, I hope that this it had some water damage and stuff in it too. But for $20, I really like it took the cosplay from me pinning some like sheets and stuff together to make uh kind of like a wedding skirt to a whole new level because it had tool it had beads it had a uh, corset and lace it was so extra and I love that it added that and it was only again or maybe it was forty dollars but it was not as much as that dress I'm sure cost originally and some of my best photos came of it and I just kind of added on to that so um you know never underestimate what you can find secondhand and what you can build on to really like bring things out and then just add those bits of accessories um, either all at once or over time to really build it up. Um, lashes and nails, always, always make a costume look great. <laughs> so press-ons, press-ons, magnetic, whatever, how to redo it. But um, regardless of how you look, if you have your nails done and um, you throw some, some lashes on there, you're probably looking at like way fabulous on the convention floor. <laughs> I love all those tips. And yeah, I didn't even know about some of those sites. So I'll definitely be looking into them. Um, it's been really great talking with you, Renee. Lots of, lots of great conversation. Um, so where can people find you or on, on social media if you'd like them? Yeah. <laughs> oh, for sure. Um, I mean, definitely on Instagram. My Facebook is like I'm very specific about my Facebook now, so you probably don't want to be there. But Instagram is uh, at PeachyConPrincess. Um, I am sometimes on Twitter with uh, at PeachyMaid, P-E-A-C-H-Y-M-A-D-E. So that was a whole thing I, I kept, but I changed a little. Um, and then my website is PeachyMaid, P-E-A-C-H-Y-M-A-D-E dot uh, com. If you're ever interested in, sometimes I blog, sometimes I have some promo items for sale. Um, these are very big sometimes is, um, but if you ever are just interested in what I have to say and you want to try to schedule some time, that's the best place to go. Um, or just to like have some conversation about marketing or whatever. Um, so that's the best place to find me. Um, you can definitely, I have a page specifically for, um, media relations and well, maybe media relations, but, um, DragonCon animation, but definitely follow just at DragonCon. Um, if you plan on going or if you plan on connecting to any of their digital um, uh, panels that they have this year and uh, follow MomoCon's, um, just at MomoCon, but you can Google MomoCon Winterfest if you're interested in going to their December show. And um, that's kind of the best time to really get to see me in person. And I'm really looking forward to that. But um, those best places to follow. Sounds good. Well, thanks again, Renee. It was great talking with you. Thank you so much, Rachel. Thanks for watching. Be sure to like and subscribe so you don't miss a single show. Interested in being on the show? Know someone that might be a good fit? Use the nomination form in the description.